Okay, so um, the Antebi rescue takes place in 1976, I believe, right? In June 1976. Uh, Ravadia's original article was published in Tarash Pen 19, which I believe is in 1977. It's then republished in Yabia Omer. It's published in another journal called, another uh, place called Zuhran Avraham, but without any changes that I can tell. And then published again in Yabia Omer, Yud Chosh Nishbat Vav. There are changes. Uh, then there is a posthumous edition of Yavia Omer, and that has information that claims to be from the Kitabiyat. Uh, has something says something added in as well. And despite all that, I am unconvinced that the Truva as we have it actually is in the order uh, that is in, that is intended. So that's going to be something we probably probably won't get till that till the very end. The Truva has the Truva has three um, sections in it. The first section is about the question of whether you can uh, endanger yourself or others in order to rescue uh, to rescue others. Uh, you can take you could theoretically take the position that you're simply that um, which would probably be based on Tosfot. Right? Tosfot says that the svara who says your blood is redder is reversible svara, and therefore you can't say the other person's blood is redder than yours um, either. And therefore, in principle, Tosfot is compatible with the position that it's usher enter into danger uh, for the sake right for the, for the sake for the, in order to save somebody else uh, right the, such a position has been taken in Jewish history halachically um, but it's very very hard to imagine a culture which could really sustain such a position uh, just because of ordinary life people take chances we can say you can only take chances that rise to the level of Shoram Hashem but yeah, hard to believe. Hard to believe that you were, you know, the question really is more what kind of risks you can take or what sorts of risks and whether multiple people, different kinds of people, all sorts of things like that make a difference. But that's the first part of Vajra's Truva, just going through all that Kedarko Bakodesh and, you know, and laying it out, you know, how the positions that seem to say they contradict each other and, uh, and how we end, we end up somewhere, somewhere sensible. I think, right? But we'll have to look at that at the end. The third part, which I did on Shabbos, um, talks about the question of specifically of launching missions to rescue hostages when a negotiated solution is an option. Right, so that's endangering people for reasons of state when there isn't there is an option to rescue people that you believe doesn't necessarily cook, put those put those risks of life. Right, so that we talked about on uh, on Shabbos, and my contention will be at the end that 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 section seems to contradict. The um, the first two sections, and that requires work. The middle section, which is what we're planning to start tonight, uh, which I want to focus on, is the question of redeeming captives for more than their for more than their value, and that uh, is generally known that there's a mishnah which says you can't do it. Uh, we will complicate that mishnah tonight because maybe that mishnah is only one side of the machloket, for example. Maybe we don't paskin like it, right? all sorts of things we could do to complicate that mission. But everyone knows, or many people know, that there is what seems to be a principle in Rabbinic literature that you cannot redeem captives above what their value, however their value is determined. And that that you know, raises a second order question: What happens? Maybe if we, if we think that value is determined as value in the slave market, uh, which can be done either for technical reasons or as a pragmatic reason. That the point if you if you buy captives for the price to be sold to slave markets, they're not incentivizing people because they could sell them as slaves as slaves anyway. Well, there's no slave market, so there's no incentive to capture except to right, except for ransom, and therefore it could be that you can't redeem captives at all. 
uh, when there's when right, when there's when there's no when there's no slave market. Right, that's the second order question. We'll get to that mostly. Uh, hopefully, when we discuss Rabbi Herzl Henkin. Uh, okay, the first order question is just that there's a statement which says that, and now right, the, another second order question is what happens if the price demanded is not money? Now, the particular case we're dealing with is the price demanded is the freedom of other um, prisoners. But what happens if the price demanded is just some sort of legislation favoring, uh, um, favoring your, you know, favoring your country's uh, flavor of bubblegum? Right, that comes from a Leonard Wilberlina, <laughs> Leonard Wilberly novel. If you haven't read Leonard Wilberly, I will uh, let the world earth. Leonard Wilberly has a wonderful series about a place called the Duchy of an imaginary place called the Duchy of Grand Fenwick uh, in Europe. Which uh, it's a more marvelous political satire, and in uh, one of them there is a, a war between the United States and the Duchy of Grand Fenwick because the United States has imposed uh, the United States has allowed California winemakers to uh, to, to counterfeit Grand Fenwick wine, and wine is their major is their major export. And so this country of like seven hundred fifty people, whatever it is, declares war on the U.S. and wins. <laughs> and the uh, the penalty is that the U.S. has to uh, allow bubblegum flavored with its uh, with its wine to, which then causes an economic crisis some years later because when smoking is banned, bubblegum <laughs> takes takes any case. Um, okay, so um, yeah, all right. But we can ima- you can imagine a whole array of um, demands. In this particular case, the demand was for the release of 40 terrorists in Israeli prisons and various, un, and various terrorists in other, in, other, in other countries as well. There were more than um, 100, uh, more than 100 um, Jews on the hijacked plane, right? The hijackers originally hijacked Air France plane. They had 250 passengers. They let all the ones they believed to be non-Jews off. Right? Famously, this one Jew who has a condoled passport who they let off by mistake. Uh, and most of the remaining pass, most or all the remaining other remaining passengers are Jewish, or at least they believe them to be Jewish. Uh, but it's hundred, it's over hundred. They demand fewer than hundred in exchange. Um, so the issue of whether one for one is right is can be defined as a price as opposed to slavery doesn't show up yet in this truva. Uh, we will talk about that. Ravadia uh, was consulted by somebody else on the Gilad Shalit release uh, as well. Um, right, so we'll see it. Right, so we'll see if that. Right, but the one for one, uh, so far as I know, is not really developed as an explicit rationale uh, at this early stage. Although it has now been articulated by uh, Rav Malamud, we may get uh, we may get to see in the course of uh, the series, and it's it's a reasonable alternate, uh, it's a reasonable alternate position, and we can think of other ways in which we could construct a um, construct a notion of kedei de mayhem, uh, but you know. The obvious thing is going to do is like, well, what do people who hijack other planes which don't have Jews on them get? Right, get in exchange. But that's all. That's also you know a hard, a hard, uh, a hard market. Uh, it was the case. Right? The U.S. went to war against the Barbary pirates because right? because uh, because people people were being kidnapped and sold into slavery. There are many cases in Jewish history where that was the case. Okay, that's but that's what we're going to be focusing on here. So the original version of the tshuva. Mivsa and Tebe Balacha made Ravad Yosef says that the question was raised, right? Amdalathin Hashela Mitsad Kama Mimishpechot Tayudima Chatufim. That the question was asked by the families. Uh, right, uh, right, so that's the, that's the way he frames it. That's the way he frames it there, right? Whether you can frame the 40, or free the 40 terrorists who are in, are, are in Israel in order to save the 100 
100 hijacked uh, passengers. And this question uh, is raised by the, um, by the family. And the way he raises, and he says, uh, right, right, maybe we can rescue them, or Al or maybe he's right, he says, You're obviously opening up the way to other, right, to other, to other hijackings, right, to, um, right, in order to, in order to, uh, black, you know, blackmail people to extort the release, the release of terrorists after they, uh, after they succeed in this. This is Bimazima Tamzu. In the later version, it said Bimazima Tamzu. I don't know if that's how significant that is. Um, probably not accepted. It's just an interesting question as to how this was transcribed or whatever about your proof it. Right, second, right, these right, A, you're encouraging more hijackings. B, these particular terrorists themselves, right, will seek to uh, will seek to will seek to kill Jews again. And so now you're putting everybody else in danger to rescue um, to, re- to rescue these people. Although you're not putting anyone specific in danger, right? What you're doing is you're adding a risk to everyone else. All right, so that's an interesting way of framing it around the added risk to, uh, to everyone else, because like how much, if you distribute the risk throughout the entire population, as I have to ask, right, so first of all, there are things you can do to counter that risk in some ways, and B, right, if, if you distribute the risk according to the whole population, how much, right, how much does it actually, how much does it actually add percentage-wise if you think of it that way? I don't think that's the only way to think about it, but that's right, but that's, but that's his way of thinking of the added risk is distributing it across the whole population. Okay, and he says, right, and of course, with the MS, really, there's a machloket among the postkim. If you can enter into a danger in order to save somebody else uh, who is definitely in danger, uh, but here you're bringing in third parties, and even though there are thousands of other terrorists, these forty uh, add right add something to the risk of uh, the risk of um, penetrations into Israel, and um, right, and because right, these terrorists particularly will um, right will will add efforts. I'm not sure we would still think about the analysis really just in those terms, whether like these these terrorists specifically infiltrating as opposed to people who are right who aren't right who are planners right and, and things like that. And so is he saying it depends on who these are? Like were they the mastermind, were they the fighters, were they uh, Well he says that they, these are people right, these are people butter their hands, right? They or they try they attack, so they'll attack again, which is true. But um he doesn't have a sense like these people being. I don't have a sense of these people being special. Right? There's just people who did it before, so there'll be more of them. Right? That includes, right? So the this triva, this framing in the first version is framed. Really, the risk is just statistical. Um, which, and the statistic, right? And that is, you know, that again is just spread out through the whole population, and that's a good way to not have it affect halacha so much. Uh, as opposed to saying what the risks of an attack are, right? Which is right, which is from the perspective of the state, right? What the added risks are, what the added risks are assumed, right? So I think that's a whole interesting question. We'll see that um, when uh, Rav Asher Weiss and and Yudhirosh um, Hankin take this on, I don't think they're convinced that this is the right framing. And as it happens um, in the um, right, so in the um, in the, in the version that's published in um, Yabi Omer, he leaves out the fact that the question was asked, was asked by the family. Um, and he adds in one word, which is the right, right, uh, sorry, he, he has much less detail, I would say, about, about what the, um, 
Well, he, does, he doesn't talk about these particular about these particular uh, people coming in and assaulting. He just uh, talks about the uh, right the risk of the risk of added um, of added of added hazard. He leaves out entirely the question of the of the these particular people um, entering. So that's also interesting why he does that. Um, and then he and he changes it to Mamidat Yeshu Bifrat Arei Hasefer. Right so now we have the right. He has he has a new thing that this is also additional to the um, additional that people on the borders are more at risk. Because we're dealing with his model of terrorism is infiltrations, which is our model now. After October seventh, also does with much, you know, much more horror. So therefore, he says, right? So it's not maybe it's not in the shuva. It's not maybe it's not as distributed as broadly because it's actually an added risk to people who are near the border, wherever these people are repatriated to. Um, okay, All right? And he frames it right. So here he calls it kol panim besafik sakana mamish. The word mamish seems to identify it. So in the published shuva, he seems to um, to take the risk. Uh, of additional hijackings more seriously than he did in the um, than, he, than he did in the original thing. Okay, that's our introduction. Um, we neither n- neither published version of the tshuva tells you what happened after uh, after this. Um, in at the end of the tshuva, he tells you that while we were gathered, Prime Minister Abin came in. And told us that the uh, right, and told us that the right that the whole thing had been, and that doesn't make any sense at all because we know that he right, there's, an, there's an earlier ending at the end of this section, which says that right that after we dis- after we discussed it and conveyed to the government uh, our solution our our claim that they could negotiate, then Prime Minister Abin uh, came and so right so the shiva ends twice, which is really problematic. Uh, so I think that the part at the end of the shiva is. Really supposed to be related related to um, a second question. And really, there are two separate questions. Which, if we read, when we read the full narrative, we'll see. There's a question asked by the families. Um, the question asked by the families leads to a consultation with a series of uh, with a series of figures. He has six figures that he consults with, um, but those uh, which do not include Rav Gurin, as Rabbi uh, Fisher pointed out to me. Um, but he does. But he does. Um, they reach a conclusion, and we have a statement because that's what the, the, the posthumous version has the statement, which they which they transmit to the government, in which they tell the government that they have every right and obligation to engage in negotiations, even though the government policy at the time was we never negotiate with terrorists. That was conveyed to the government. Then on Friday afternoon, Prime Minister, but so it's really this really happens in a compressed area of time. That the plane is hijacked on Tuesday, they threaten to kill the passengers by Thursday if people aren't released. The government opens negotiations with them on Thursday, and therefore they extend the deadline to Sunday. And the the mission takes place uh, takes place over Shabbat. On Friday afternoon, then Defense Minister Rabin calls Ravadia and says, "We're planning this mission. Can we do it on Shabbos?" Uh, Ravadia says yes, and that's that has to be the thing that that the end of the truva is talking about. Even though it's not, even though he doesn't mention that in the truva that, that this consultation that has to be when Prime Minister Rabin comes back and tells him, uh, right, "Don't worry, right, yeah, it's 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 already done." Um, although it's a little confusing because according to his diary, he's in England, so I don't know who he's consulting with. So I haven't quite haven't quite nailed it. Uh, like he's he he leaves for his, for England on Shabbos, and then on Sunday, so they find out about it. So it's really um, still puzzling about the reality, but what the reality is. Okay, so here is the. Um, the background that everyone starts with is that the Rambam 
famously says that Pidyon Shroim is the biggest mitzvah of all mitzvot, right? There's no mitzvah as important as Pidyon Shroim, and goes on for quite a long time about how important Pidyon Shroim is. Uh, now, I think it's pretty famous that there are many mitzvot that are equivalent to all other mitzvot and more important than other mitzvot, and um, the math doesn't work out very well. Uh, you can't even get the you know, the infinities to be consistent as to which infinity is great. It's <laughs> great. It's great. Even if you uh, you know, you you allow um, you, you allow infinities that aren't equal to each other, uh, you still can't get the math at it. So when the Rama says that you know that pity and shlem is the greatest mitzvah, but then all their mitzvahs, yeah, of course, except for Vodazara, Gileharayos, and many other mitzvahs. But nonetheless, he has he has really important rhetoric about this. And where does he get it from? He gets it from a Gemara in Bavabasra. And that's our first source. Bavabasra. Um, Begins with a statement which says, "Kol milsa, kol milsa de islu hanamine afilo miyasme." If you're talking, when you're talking about collecting taxes, so the question is, can you collect taxes from uh, from estates, right, which have which which are currently being held in trust for minors? Um, so the answer is that you can uh, anything which the orphans benefit from, along with the rest of the population, you can collect taxes for. But you can't collect you can't right you can't collect taxes for things from which the orphans will derive. Will derive no benefit because it has to be a schut. And in order for it to be a schut, right, in order to say zachin that we're collecting it, right, that we're collecting because of the schut for them, they have to benefit from it. If they don't, right, so if there's a, if there happens to be some public work project that the orphans don't have any benefit from, you can't collect taxes from. Okay, so now, Rava Ramat Saka Yasmin Devade Barmerion. But Rava imposes taxes on an estate, this estate of Barmerion anyway. And Abaye asks him the question, but Rashmul Bar Yehuda said, Abaye says, you can't do it. Ain't post kinsakal yisamim, afilu lepidyon shruim. And lepidyon shruim is an example where the taxpayer gets no benefit. Right? It's a, it's a good to do it, but no, right? But, you, right, but unless, right, there's nothing, right? There's no, there's no, uh, right, there's no investment on the part of the, um, Right, you could try and construct one and say, right, you know, that it makes it more likely that you'll be redeemed if you ever get captured, but maybe not. Maybe there's less money now, and right, and so it makes it more likely that you won't be redeemed. Right. So the Gemara's assumption is that uh, I think that you can right, that this is that this is that this is that even Pidin Shuyim is um, is an illegitimate taxation of estates because uh, it's right, it's an altruistic uh, seizure. Okay. So So the response is. No, right. If I don't, right. If I don't put their names on the, uh, on, right, on the on the people who right, who pay taxes for the pidyon so that will lower their social status. And by 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 putting them up on the wall, people right here, people whose whose money rescues so and so, I'm actually contributing to their social standing. Okay, that's a really interesting, uh, really interesting claim. But, you know, obviously, it is liable to overuse or abuse if you think that. That if you think that this is actually something real, you think it's just a technical problem. What we really want to do is get the money from the estates because if we get it from the parents. Why shouldn't we get it from the children? So then now we have a technical way around all these issues. We always claim, well, if they don't pay their fair share of taxes, everyone will get right. Everyone will think less of them. But if you think that really you're not supposed to take money from from orphans, you have to figure out what's your boundary. Uh, right? Can you just put up a plaque every time you take money from orphans? Um, right, so that's a. Uh, that's a challenge, and it's a risk to allow because orphans don't have um, the same means of defending their estate against the right. So you you know you, you run the risk that in a society where taxes are basically established by citizen boards, uh, right? It's like think of them as the equivalent of day school tuition committee, right? Uh, committees right now, right? Where there's a committee of your peers who sits and decides how much money you you should pay on the basis of various kinds of objective data. But it's easy if you have uh, disliked orphans. 
right? Or just like parents just decide, well, they should really pay for all these things, right? So there are reasons this might, this might or might not be good policy, but at the end of the day, um, at the end of the day, that's right. Uh, Rabba does, Rabba does this, and that's the, you know, Pashup Shadda, since he gets the last word, that's how we paskin. And it's a second order question, well, so how, do, how do we control this psak so it doesn't leave orphans, uh, finances vulnerable? Okay. If Rahorm is Imedish for Malka, so who these characters are historically is not something that I can uh, tell you. Right? Formalka is, is, I think, supposed to be in the Sasanian or the, the Sasanian Empire in Persia, and if Hormuz is like is like a queen, uh, king mother or something like that, I don't, I don't know who the characters are. Somebody who is important in the political world outside the rabbinic universe in Babylonia, uh, right? So she shadra anarka dinare the Rav Yosef. So she throws a purse in front of Rav Yosef and says to him, "Have the mitzvah rabba." Okay, now what language she's speaking, I couldn't tell you, uh, right? Because she said, that, and what the background of all this is, right? That's a whole, whole separate universe trying to figure out, like, what is the story which ends up with a royal figure in Babylonia just giving a large purse to a rabbi and saying, use it for something, right? use it for something very worthwhile. <laughs> okay. Yes, if Yosef, my mitzvah rabba. So Yosef like, what, how can I fulfill her words? And we're going to assume that he is doing this entirely because he wants to be, right, be faithful to her intent. And there's no politics at all either. Obviously, he's going to want to come back and tell her what he spent the money on. Um, so, okay. Amalei Abaye, Nidatani Roshmul Bar Yehuda, Ein Poskin Al-Sakal Yisomim Afilu, Pidion Shruim, Shramina Pidion Shruim Mitzvah Rabahi. Okay, right? So that's right. So Abaye says, look, since he says, even for Pidion Shruim, that implies that Pidion Shruim is a Mitzvah Rabah. I would say it's Mitzvah Rabah for the purposes of using public, right, of using Sakka money. Right, that one of the best things to use stuck in money for is pidyon shvuyim, and that's I don't think you can get more out of the sugya. I don't think you can say that pidyon shvuyim is more important than prayer, or pidyon shvuyim is more important than halmatara, or pidyon shvuyim is more important than having an esrog. Right, all you can say is right. All things like you're asking, what's a big, what's a big mitzvah, right? To use public to use stuck in money for the answer. That's a good big. That's a big mitzvah to use uh, to use stuck in money for. Okay, uh, we have the phrase mitzvah rabba and mitzvah rabim also shows up famously in terms of. Uh, Right, doubt, right, doubt, completing a meaning in the story where Rabbi uh, Ezra frees his Evid. So you have a version where it's Mitzvah Rabbah and Mitzvah Durabim. So you can also tie that everybody says, but it's the Rabbah. And also, right, it's all sorts of, if I just had this sugya, and I wouldn't think it was the most convincing proof in the world that Spirit of is the most important myth in the world, but the Rabbah takes the sugya and makes it a universe. Okay, so now the Gemara says, Amalei Rabbah, the Rabbah Marmari, where does this come from in um, where does this come from in Tanakh? Uh, okay, so he's not satisfied. Presumably, Chayyim doesn't know about Abaye's answer, uh, or Abaye's answer has now spread to has now spread and become very popular in the question. But you know, okay, so we know like we have a tradition going back to Shmuel Bar Yehuda, which who claims to be a Brita, but where but where did he get this idea from? Right, there's no source for it. So he says. Um, right, so you have a passage in Yermia, um, which tells you about all these horrible things that are going to happen to, uh, right, to people after destruction. And Rabbi Yochanan says these horrible things are in ascending order. And he brings Psukim for why Cherev is worse than um, Mavit, and Rav is worse than Cherev. And then for Shvi, he doesn't have a Pesach at all. He just says, well, Shvi has all of these things in it. 
right? Shri Likul Yisnubay, right? So we learn that Pidyan Shvim is a great thing because Pidyan Shvim is saving people from the worst imaginable outcome of the result because Shvi has all these things in it. Now, how Shvi can have both, I guess Shvi can have Cherev, which includes Mavis, uh, and I guess it includes Rav before you get to the Cherev. Uh, so I don't know, I don't, I, uh, it has all these things in it, but it doesn't, you know, but you have to claim it has all these things in it sequentially, or the Drusha, right? Yeah. Right, where the and dying and dead the Exactly right, right. So it's uh, you know, so how about to do the uh, with you know, and, and what what the literary effect of the drusha was supposed to be, right? Where you get the last one, you said, right? That the collusive, I'm not sure. So I just point out because I'm a troublemaker that um, right. So this is Yirmiya Yirmiya Tedvov, but Mem Gimel Pasuk Yud Aleph says. Now, if you tell me Barbiocha didn't say every right, didn't say that everything in this pasuk is an ascending order, so it doesn't contradict our claim that Rabbiokhan thinks that Shevi is worse than, than all than all of them. But it does mean you don't have, that the Pasuk proves nothing because the Psukim are apparently in rent, right? The events of the Pasuk are apparently in random order. So this also is unconvincing to me. That okay, but that's right. That's what we have, right? We have is we have a. Um, I have one side of two, two, two sides. Um, the uh, so I don't confuse you. <laughs> um, the um, yeah, so right, so we have a Gemara which says that which, that Pidyon Shvuim is a big thing, and we have a and it, you know we we try and root that, but the truth is that I think that the rooting. Doesn't actually succeed. Yeah, like, I don't think you could prove if you just had the Gemara and the Rambam that Pidyon Shvuim was a really, really important thing, right? You could prove like, okay, Shvuim, having people in captivity is a terrible thing, and you should give money to rescue them. Okay, we'll have to see how, right, in the end, Ravavadia takes care of it. Okay, and now we get to a Gemara uh, Subas. The Gemara Subas says the following: uh, we're to, we're ta- The question we're talking about is. If someone's, if a man's wife is uh, captured, uh, does he have an obligation to redeem her? Right, we're assuming marriage is a transactional uh, affair, and um, okay, so right, men, husbands have have financial obligations towards wives, and the question is, do, right, to what extent do those financial obligations um, include an obligation, an obligation to redeem? So there's a bright which says the following: niche space. If if the wife was captured, and they're asking her up to ten times her worth, whatever her worth is, however her worth is defined. Okay, and whether up to ten times is just a rhetorical device, or really everyone agrees you can't pay more, right? Don't pay more than ten times, and that I think is an important thing to note because there are people who will tell you, right? Well, you have to pay anything. Okay, does that mean you, does that mean you have to surrender to the first demand? You can't negotiate all. All you can negotiate is the terms of release. You can't negotiate the price. Right. So I, that seems to me highly important. Every, everyone has to agree there is an upper limit, which is just a common sense upper limit. Um, and may, you know, maybe we set it at ten times. Maybe not. I, I think more likely, right? There's, right? There are. There's a. We don't negotiate with terrorist point, and there's a. We pay, what? However, we define the market rate, price, um, price point. And there's the we pay everything within reason price point right those are the those are your three those I think those are only three positions that you can 
reasonably take. Theoretically, there's a fourth position, but the fourth position only lets you redeem one captive. Now, you might say, if I give, if I give them all their money, so then there's no incentive then to capture more, but they're always going to rape them. <laughs> that doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem plausible to me. Okay. So, Pam Rishona put this. So, the first time she gets captured, you're supposed to, uh, you're supposed to, the husband is supposed to redeem her even at ten times whatever her domain is. And afterwards, he can, he can or cannot redeem as he, uh, as, as he wishes. Um, now, this, no one in the Gemara has the, you know, has the, the dark cynical view that maybe she's using this as a way to get the money out of him and she's in with it. <laughs> uh, which I guess you could, you could, uh, you could, you could read into it. Nobody reads it that way. Um, just like he has satisfied his obligation. What if they're not asking ten times? Okay, so now we have a whole set of options we can raise. What happens if, right, does the, the is, has he satisfied his obligation the first time, no matter what they ask, even they only ask one-tenth of her value as opposed to ten times, or, all right? And secondly, when we say that he has the right or not, or not, does that mean he has the right or not right to, pay, to overpay the second and third times, or he has the right or not to pay anything at all? Right, and those positions you, know, you can construct the four, right, the, the, the four combinations and permutations, uh, however you will. Uh, Rashi adds, Enapode, right? And that has enormous influence, right? Although there seems to have been another Girsa of Rashi around, which was somewhat longer. But I don't have that Girsa. This is the only Girsa of Rashi that I have seen. Rashi says, because the rabbis only established one Pidyon for her, that suggests that, um, that no matter, right, the simplest way of reading Rashi is that he has to redeem the first time at whatever price. And once he redeems the first time, there's no obligation to redeem a second time, whatever the. However, the rabbis constructed an obligation of Pidyon Shuim for wives, right? They only constructed it as a one-time obligation. Okay. Now, Rav Shem Gamliel says, So, we could try and understand Rav Shem Gamliel in all sorts of uh, ways. We could, right? we could say he's not talking about wives at all. He's talking about everybody else. And the problem with that Rosh Gamliel Omer is that it sounds right, that usually we understand it as being a machloket as opposed to Mar Rosh Gamliel, but Nassim talks somewhat differently than, than, than others in, they have different sources in Mishnah, so maybe not, maybe he's just making another, another, another statement. Or we could say he's talking about wives, if he's talking about wives, we could say that he's, telling, right, that he's talking about even the first time, and saying that there's no obligation even the first time to overpay, or we could say that he's, that he's talking about the second and the third times. If he's some of the second and third times, we could say he's telling you that there's no that there's no obligation to overpay the second and third times, but there, right, but there is an obligation. There is an obligation. There is an obligation to pay the um, right to pay the, nor- the normal price. Or we could say he's telling you that, it's, that you're not allowed to overpay the second right, the second the second or third time. Right, those basic you know, again basic combinations of permutations. Uh, Rashi says shelo yergilu lalot al so they won't increase the price. Um, so I have to see, right, since there, there's a Gemara that, which offers two possibilities, neither of which is this, so I, right, so I have to figure out where, how, Rashi, how Rashi is reading this statement from Gamaliel in light of the other place where the statement appears, where the Gemara offers two options, neither of which are, right, um, which sounds like the risk is parallel to, um, you're not supposed to be mafkia the shar. Right, you're not supposed to, right, if, as a consumer, you're not supposed to overpay. As a, produ- right, as, a, as, a, as a producer, you're not supposed to undercut the market. Right, we, have a, we, we have an interest halachically in stable markets. 
So if you increase, right? So if you increase the price of captives, you're hurting it. You're, you're hurting. You're hurting all the all the good people in the world, because the next person, right, has to pay the market price, and you're, right, you're pay, you're you're overpaying, or right? you're you're raising the price of captives over the right over over whatever the the price would have been otherwise. Um, right. So that 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 could be just all he's saying. Then it's right. It's not. Um, it's really just a general market claim. Okay. The Gemara says. So the implication of Shemang Amlil is that we that um, the only or we have to figure out actually well, okay we have to figure out what the next line of the Gemara is about Shemang Amlil or about the, uh, the or about the Tanakama. All right. One of these positions says that uh, let's let's right, let's say the Tanakama. Let's let's start with the simplest line. It's the, the Tanakama's original line. Right. Tanakama's original line is that you pay up to ten times price the first time. The first time, which suggests that bichdei demayan, you should pay all the other, right, you should pay forever. Okay, al gav yoter al ksubasa. All right, so now the Gemara introduces a new consideration. Maybe the price which husbands have to pay to redeem should not be determined by the worth of the wife in the marketplace, but by the consideration that the right, that the husband has received for this. Or another way of framing it is. Why can't the husband just divorce her? The wife has a lien on the husband for her ketubah, so if he's if right, you know, so if he's presented with an extraordinary with an extraordinary bill, he should be able to just hand her the ketubah and say, "Go, right, go, right, go, go your merry way." Right. So that right, but for, right, we'll have to figure out right when we, if reading this again in depth, right, what the relation, right, why the Gemara thinks that ketubah is the appropriate standard. But it seems clear here, the Gemara says, that we don't make the ketubah the standard. The only standard, the only, the only standard we make is, uh, the only standard we have is uh, k'day demand. And that contradicts another, or meaning, that contradicts another bright. So the bright there says, nishbeis, vayimavakshin, mimeno arasora b'ketubasa, they're asking ten times the ketubah, pam rishona poda, mikan ve'elech ratza poda, ratza ena poda, right? So here, the, it's framed internally as ketubasa. And Rosh Gamliel says, Okay, and, and Rashi says the reason for that is that how can right, that we're not willing to assert that there is anything in the ketuba, uh, right, any condition in the ketuba which is more valuable than the ketuba itself. And why we're not willing to assert this, Rashi doesn't tell us, right? But that's his framing that right, there's an ikar ketuba, which is um, you know which is the the total insurance rate that, that you have, and there can't be, right, and it can't be that there's a uh, that there's a payment which is more than the ikkertuba. Now, insurance contracts don't work that way. We have double indemnity clauses, um, right? So, I don't know that that argument as a matter of contract law is uh, is at all convincing. And this isn't a question of interpretation, right? It's a question of legislation because certainly they could have done it if they wanted to. Um, nonetheless, right? That seems to be the assumption here is that. If for some reason the obligation to redeem is going to be limited by the limited by the ketuba, um, and the Gemara frames this as a contradiction. So there, right? So what's the and the contradiction is to the right to the claim made at the end of the first statement, which is that we only redeem that we redeem gedei demehem even if it's more than the ketuba. So that seems to be. A con- right, so that contradiction, if we think that Rasapoda, Rasainapoda means you have complete discretion, so then how could there be a contradiction about that? In both cases, we're saying you have complete discretion. 
So if we think that Ratsapoda Rasainapoda means complete discretion, so there can't be any contradictions between two statements that say Ratsapoda Rasainapoda, because discretion is discretion. So on that basis, it sounds like the, that the contradiction must be within Rabban Shim Mengamliya. Rabban Shim Mengamliya in one place says that we're not put as a shrim yeser al kadei mehem, but husbands are poda as a shrim yeser al yeser al ksubasam the first time. Right, so now we read Rav Shem Gamliel is disagreeing with Tanakhama. Tanakhama says the first time you pay ten times. Uh, in, the, in the first bright day you pay ten times the, the money, and in the second bright day you pay even you pay ten times the but we don't know which is which. We don't know we don't know which is greater, which is lesser. There's, there's no inherent contradiction because we don't know that up to ten times means anything. Uh, you could imagine that there's a difference of more than ten times, one way or the other, between the price of captives and the price of ktuba, but that's probably unlikely. Um, so the contradiction must be within Rav Shem Gamliel then. Roshim Gamliel in the first time says, right, the first statement says, our general principle is that you can't, right, that you should never redeem people at more than their, uh, more than, more than their damim, um, even if their, uh, even if their ketubah is greater than their damim. And the second statement, Roshim Gamliel says, no, if the ketubah is greater than damim, then you pay up to the ketubah. Uh, we don't care about the, right, as long as that money is set aside in the ketubah, we don't care about the policy risks that you're raising the you're raising the prices because and it's very reasonable to say because like you only raise the prices to the ketubah. Right? There's a natural limit, and you, know, you raise okay, so people will tend to be more likely to kidnap rich women. Um, I don't know what the market for slaves is that, that way that way either. Okay, the so answer is Roshim Gamliel Treculius. Roshim Gamliel actually believes two things, right? You shouldn't. Rashi says actually says the obligation is limited by the lesser of the two. Uh, right, if you pay either up to the up to the ketuba, or if her right, her ketuba is larger than her worth of the slave market, you only pay up to this. You only pay up to the slave market. The first, the slave market is the policy consideration in terms of the in terms of the uh, the price of slaves, and the ketuba is a policy consideration in terms of merit. Okay, so that's for Shimon Gamliel. But we don't know how we pass in this machloket. Uh, on that reading, Rosh Hashanah presumably Yisrael Kedai Demeim applies to everybody and not just to wives. There's no reason to say right if the if the wife's ksuba is more. There's no reason that you should say Rosh Hashanah that you can't pay more than her damim for her unless the, unless that the issue is everybody else. So Rosh Hashanah right. So the way the Gemara understands it, Rosh Hashanah says you should not be put to any shavui. At um, at more than their at more than their damim, even the first time, whereas the Tanakhama says that the first time husbands can redeem, right, husbands can redeem their wives at, at any amount, even more than the ketubah, and that's fair. So why why is it right? The Tanakhama in principle just reject just reject Rishon Gamliel, or are they saying something within the context of marriage, even though they're not limiting it to the ketubah price? Okay. Um, okay, also we haven't, um, right, we haven't necessarily said Rosh Hashanah says it's us, or Rosh just says it's discouraged, and the Tanakhama, right, Tanakhama seems to think it's an obligation, but we could also read that Tanakhama thinks that it, you, right, you have it, you, you can, yeah, I guess it's hard, because it's Ratsa Pada, Ratsa Pada, so the Tanakhama has to think it's an obligation, Rosh Hashanah could think it's either, for, either, either not an obligation or, um, or forbidden. Okay. Okay, the Mishnah Ksuba says the following. If he didn't write to her, if you're captured, I will redeem you, and then I will complete our nisuin, right? Assuming that this is all being written 
and at the time at the time of the Eris image is a whole separate Mahogas in terms of what 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 a is and when it comes right when it comes into uh, when it comes into force. But if she's a Kohenet, so she's a Shvuya, so she'll be Esther to him. Right? So he has to at least, right? So he says, I'll redeem you and then I'll, right, and then I'll send you home. Chayav, Shutanai Beitin. So the answer is that doesn't have to be written in the Ketubah, right? And we paskin that, um, right, that, you know, the amount, amounts either, right? We, we have an implicit Ketubah, we have a prohibition against living together without a written Ketubah. Um, but in practice, the. Um, in practice, a wife can right, a wife can always claim a properly right, a married wife can always claim the obligation uh, of a ketubah even if one was not written. Right, the burden of proof is on the husband to produce a quit claim. Um, okay, nishbeis chayav liftosa ve'imam The mission says he has to redeem her, and he cannot say that I'm right that I'm divorcing her and now she has the money. Right, in other words, right. We, which is weakness in Rashi, should take Naiktuba greater than the, than the thing, because in fact, we force him to pay twice. And the, obligation to, the obligation to redeem her does not diminish his financial obligation. He still has the right, so it is, a double, it is a double indemnity clause. So granted, it's a double indemnity clause, why should it be limited to the amount of the Ketubah? Okay, right, that's, a, that's a mystery that Rashi has not, uh, has not clarified for us. Um, okay. Right, so you have to figure out whether this stam, whether whether this stam mishnah is necessary, right? Whether the machlokas between the 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 Tanakama and Roshim and Gamliel is within this stam mishnah, or whether in some way this stam mishnah is taking is taking sides. The way you would do that is by saying nishbeis chayiv liftosa. It doesn't put a limit, and it sounds like right. Like why should there be a limit? Because after all, he can't just tell her that right. I'm only doing this up to the amount of the kuba. So Pashtas, right, we could say that this is a Stam Mishnah that supports the position of the of the Tanakama that the obligation to redeem her the first time is um, right is unlimited. Uh, and then we could say Allah Mishnah, so right. So we could we could paskin that in fact there is no there is no limitation on husbands redeeming their redeem, redeeming their wives. And then we could say, well, if why would you know since husbands are right when women are captured, it's likely to be the husbands are going to redeem her, so maybe there's no limitation at all. And maybe we paskin against this principle of Gamar. Okay, here's what the um, what the riff says. Okay, so the riff says, "Tenor about a nishbeis favorite." He quotes he quotes the first um, he quotes the first right uh, literally. He quotes the Tanakam, He quotes Rishon and he says, "V'chein halacha," which is generally understood to mean that this halacha the halacha follows the second position of Rishon Mengelil. And then he quotes the second brisa. He says, "In the second brisa, the halacha is right. The halacha is um, kirebi. Right? He has rebbe as opposed to, right. We don't we don't have rebbe in it. I don't think we just have." We just have the um, Tanakama in both places, but he has he has it as Rebbe. Okay, so now so right, so he crosses it up. So right, that we we hold that the husband has an obligation up to ten times the ketuba, but we also hold that that obligation cannot exceed whatever the dummy mark. Right, that's, that seems to be the way of understanding understanding the riff. Right, that um, you can never redeem castes more than the damim, but for, right, but husband, but husbands are not limited by the, but uh, is like Rebbe that husbands are not limited by the ketuba amount. Right, so we pass like, like Rebbe in the context of marriage, but um, but the, but our overall principle is we never we never we never we never redeem castes more than they demand. Okay, um, the Rambam says the following. Right, so 
כמה, אלא כמה שהיא שווה, כי שאר השבויות. So the question is, how significant is it, the Rambam says, in the chayven? Uh, right, that doesn't, sounds like he thinks the husband has already, is entitled to. Right, in the chayven it's a balifdos. Uh, right? so, so now, is, if that's correct, does he think that only within marriage, or does he think that even, for right, so he's telling you that Shemingham Leal's principle, doesn't apply, right, is only a principle saying that you can never obligate the community to pay, but there's never any restraint on individuals, um, or even there's no restraint on communal charity. It's just restraints on using communal funds, right? We don't, we don't, right? We don't know. Uh, but he does say in the chayven, right? That seems hard to argue with. Uh, that's only palm rishon, but the second time, right? What Rasa Rats, poda Rasa ena poda means he has the option of right. He doesn't have the option of saying, "Well, you just sit there forever," right? According to the Rama, but he does have the option of just handing her her ketuba the second time, right? So that's Lashit has the Rama generally, right? That husbands are not allowed to hold wives captives. So therefore, right? So he can't he can't say, "I'd rather have the money than you," um, but he has no obligation to spend more than the money he owes her. The second time, right? The first time, right? The first time, the first time he has to spend, right? He has to spend any amount that is consistent with, um, with public, with public, with public policy. Okay, so the Rambam, right? Paskins, like Rebbe on the in the second brayta, and like Roshim and Gamliel on the first brayta, right? So he paskins the same way the Rif does. But he adds in lots of information that we made, that was not in the riff and that may contradict Rashi, because he because he throws in ein mechayven and, and he adds in an obligation that even the second time there is an obligation to right, to pay up to the amount of the ketuba, but you can you can right you can make that divorce uh, instead right so it's a really uh, it's you know it's a really nice development of the law which nonetheless um, I think Ramam says, right, that he only, that the riff is only wrong ten times. It doesn't mean he always agrees with the riff. It just means the riff isn't wrong. So the riff, right, so the, all the riff wrote was, I look like, right, you know, so maybe he agrees with the riff, maybe he agrees with the riff, maybe he doesn't agree with the riff. But this is a, right, this is a, right, Ram seems to end up with that halacha. Nobody's ever forced to pay more than Kadei Damim. Uh, husbands can pay whatever they want. Maybe anybody else can pay whatever they want. Um, and husbands are obligated to pay any amount the first time and are obligated to pay up to the Ksuba the second time, so the, the freedom from captivity clause is independent of the obligation of the Ktuba. The Ktuba has a one-time, a one-time get-out-of-jail-free card. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? But, well, for her. For her, right? She doesn't, she doesn't pay anything for her, right? right? So she can present, right, you know, part of what we, we hand you your Ktuba, right, you get, right, you get a get-out-of-jail-free card and a promissory note for, for X amount, and right, she presents a get-out-of-jail-free card the first time, and now she doesn't have one anymore, now she has to present the, uh, the Ktuba card. Okay, so that's right, the Rif and the Rambam. Now we get to the Rush. The Rush says, Tan Rabbanan, Nishbeis, Vayim Vakshim Eno Al-Asrad Debedamea, Pam Rishon HaPodeh, Mikan Velech Rosa Podeh, Rosa Eno Podeh, Roshim Gamliel, Omer Ein Podeh Noshvim Yetzel Agadeh Dmeim, Mitnei Tikim Olam, Pasak Rav Alpha Zal Halachik Rav Shim Gamliel, Mishum Dekatani, Yistamana Masisim Begitin, Ein Podeh Noshvim Yetzel Agadeh Dmeim, Mitnei Tikim Olam, Umashma Kol Shvuyin Afilu Ishto. 
Okay, so the, the Rush says that in the fact the Mishnah Kshubos, the Mishnah Gitten, quotes Rav Shimon Gamaliel's statement without uh, limiting it to wives, that suggests that, the, that suggests that that is Rav Shimon Gamaliel's statement, and that suggests that Rav Shimon Gamaliel's statement is intended to mean even, right, even, uh, even wives. And now we pass it like him. Okay, he doesn't address the question, as far as we can tell, about whether... Uh, whether this means that uh, it bans anyone or even husbands from doing it, or it doesn't address the Ram's Ain Nechayven, he just quotes the language of the Gemara. Uh, right? Whether you're supposed to be able to figure it out, or whether the job of, when you don't have a clear position, right, your job of, of the Riff and the Rush is just to quote the Gemara and tell you who you're asking like, and then, right, and then you figure out yourself what that means. I, I don't have enough of a sense of the Riff and the Rush to really know what they're planning to, what, what, they, what they mean by it. But all I know is that he doesn't, t- he doesn't seem to address the issue of the Rama. Okay, now he says, Rav Rav Meir Levi. This is Rav Meir Abelafia, the Yad Rama. I believe. It's tricky because it could also be the Rami Rottenberg, but, I, but I'm, everyone else quotes it as the, as, as the, as the Yad Rama here, and I think, so I think I assume that's correct. Rav um, Meir Levi, Pasak Etanakama, De'alach Kirabim, Umas Nisin, Degitin, Ari Bish Arshuin, Aval Ishto Kigufo. So this quote has um, has a lot of uh, information in it, and has a lot of ambiguities in it that are not obvious. Right. So the first thing is we right. You you have a star Mishnah. Well, I just think I, I think I think I possibly have a comment against Rosh Hashanah. Okay, right, that's a, that's, a, that's a reasonable position. What about the Stam Mishnah? So he says, let's say that the, um, let's limit the Machlokas in Tanakam and Shemeng to, right, to only wives. And if it's only wives, so now we can say, okay, the, we, the, right, what this, what our bright is, or Shemeng applying the principle of the Mishnah even to wives, and there we reject it. Uh, okay, so now we straight, now why do we reject it? So he says, we reject him because ishto kigufo. Okay, so what? Ukimosha adam yacholiftos atzmo bechol mamono ishto nami. So it turns out that the principle of ein poyin as shulim yosemi say the ma'am doesn't apply to a person themselves. Why not? Same public policy reasons, presumably. Uh, maybe just because it's unenforceable. Uh, right, it's ridiculous to say that right to somebody you can't right you can't redeem yourself right that that's just right people are entitled to decide what it's worth to them right maybe that's it right maybe unenforceable maybe it's immoral um, tough to, uh, right people offer you know right, whether you have a right to spend your money or right, or whether it's implausible you won't spend your money and it's exerish and yachol sure. I mean, we could, like, because the person in captivity, right, we could just deprive them of access to their, right, to their funds, or anything, but so I think it has to have some element of right. And well, okay, now, Ishtar Kigufo, so how did that get, how did that get us uh, in? So it sounds like you can't restrict the person's right, right, to be fair that way, a person has a right to redeem their wife also. Uh, right, you know, that's, uh, right, your wife is part of you. But then he has a second astronaut, right, it's, it's really her money. <laughs> what, is that? what does that do with anything? Right? We're deciding whether it's a Tznaik Tuba, right? So, right? so we can just say the Tznaik Tuba, we can just change the Tznaik Tuba. 
right? And they'll say, okay, the Tanya Ketuba now is, yes, Redeemer, unless it's more than her Redeemer. So, it sounds like this is, the person writing this doesn't think Ishto Kagufo could work. It can't just be that you have a right to redeem, a right to redeem your wife. It's, right, it's, we have to somehow claim that the wife is redeeming herself. Um, right, because, right, she's just calling in her promise or right, her promissory note to you. But as I say that's a, it's a very, and he says the chain is saber, but I don't really understand. It's circular because right to say is only if we don't limit it. So I, I don't, I don't understand this at all. Um, nonetheless, right, this um, there. So I wrote, I wrote about this last week. Like so, now how many other people can claim we can right? Right, so right, if you say if you say it's because you have a snake tuba, so then all right. But are there any other people you have an obligation to right to to, to um to redeem? Do you have an obligation to redeem redeem your children? Do you have an obligation to redeem your parents? Is is it true that anyone you have an obligation to redeem? Then right, there's no this, this limit doesn't apply. This limit doesn't apply at all. It's all, maybe it only applies to communities, and not to individuals at all. Or alternatively, what if there are people you feel emotionally about the way you feel about your wife? And so I don't know what the restrictions of this um, would be. I could claim that Ishto you Kegufo know, is a special halacha and Ishto. We don't have any halacha, right? So if, right? if it's emotional, I can claim that. But if, right, if, if it's Tanik Tuba, so then it should be anyone who has a chiv. Uh, right? So I'm, I'm puzzled. Okay. That's the rush. Right? So the rush ends up paskin like Rav Meir which means that he, uh, right, which means that he agrees uh, against the uh, right, against the riff in the Rambam, he thinks that we paskin like the like Rebbe and not like Rav Shimon Gamliel on right on in the first brayta. But then he thinks that that's because that brayta is an extension of the Stam Mishnah and not in right and not a quote not an instantiation of the Stam Mishnah. The Stam Mishnah is unanimous; everyone agrees that that if you don't fall into the category of wife, right, then you right then you then you can't overpay. Okay, where well, he agrees, right? Nish, right he says. He quotes it again. Right, that's right. Um, but the Rosh says, look, but other people don't agree. And they think that um, really, right, the really what's very sensible reading is that you write that only the second time you don't pay more than the Kuba. Um, but he says, Mistaber compares Rashi. But it makes sense to me that Rashi is right. The Maishna Pidion Sheni Pidion Rishon Imchivu Chachamim Bifrakona. The Olam Kihechid Pidion Rishon Abdi Tafil Chamram Niker, who had been the Pidion Pidion Sheni. I don't really understand this argument at all because they did whatever they could. Right? All the all obligations of Tuba are transactional for Chazal and they want to give women the. Maximal prote- protection in such a way which won't discourage men from marrying them. So maybe they thought right, that men aren't willing to, to, you know, to go bankrupt twice for the sake of the same wife. Uh, whatever. Okay, the, that's his argument. Okay, Ravalfa holds halacha kerevi, right? So we have the rift paskins that way. The afal gav the kaimilan halacha kerevi mechevero Rav Shimon Gamil Avifayas. The way to read this is that even though halacha is only that we paskin like Rebbe Mechavero and not like Rebbe above his father. Roshim Gamil is not Rebbe's Chaver, Roshim Gamil is Rebbe's father. Hacha, Masnis and Daike Kerebi, 
He thinks that the Mishnah in Ksubos, which doesn't set any limit, implies, right, implies the right, so he's going to interpret that Mishnah as following Rebbe, and therefore he thinks he's entitled to Paschal like Rebbe against his father, even though he thinks that we should be Midayik from Malachik Rebbe Mechaviro, that Rebbe, right, that Rebbe shouldn't have a Paschal. Right? Other people just say, well, you know what? Roshon Gamaliel wasn't even Rebbe's Chavir. It was only his father. And Rebbe actually outshone which seems to be the implication of, of various stories we have about uh, we have about that. Okay, and then the Ramam, but the, the Ramam writes that um, that the second time, right, the second time, um, right, he has the right. He, right, the Ramam, so he thinks really three positions: the position that the second time you have to, you have to out redeemer, position the second time you don't have to do anything, and the third position the Ramam writes, which is that you don't have to redeem, you don't have to redeem out of your money, but you do have to give her her money uh, to redeem. Uh, to re- to redeem herself. Uh, okay, just to be aware, there's another position out there. Chavini Rucham says, "Nishpeis v'yim v'akshim asher b'demeah." Tam Rishon Poda mikanda elach ratsa poda ratsa ena poda nishpeis right so right v'yim v'akshim and asher b'kzubasa. Tam Rishon Poda shnia ena poda b'yeser mikzubasa. Al poda also shnia mlo yeser mikzubasa. Right, so the SDH mefarshim in the in the rush. Right, Chavini Rucham preserves this position as well. That uh, right that husbands have an infinite obligation to redeem their wives, but only today. Uh, only kedei ktuba, but Rashi says Perish Rashi any put a cloud both kini elisha elap kini nechad the chain niriyka right so that that seems like that position which existed does not uh, right the mainstream halacha seems continually to reject the uh, the Adramah's position. Okay, how does the Shulchan Aruch paskin? Shulchan Aruch says ein mechayvin sabal liftoses ishto yeser el demea ela kemoshi shave kish ar shliot. So that is a citation of the Rambam with all the ambiguities of mechayvin. Right now, the Ramah throws in the Ish Omer the Ishto Kigufo Dami the Yachol Listos Bchalashulo. So the right, so the Ramah now puts in that he has the right to redeem her, but that doesn't mean he has an obligation to redeem her. Now that is a now. If we go back to the, the Ad Ramah again, we'll say Ukimosha Dami Yachol Listos Bchal Bchal Mamono Ishto Nami Kevan Dechayev Listosa. Right, so the other one is actually very ambiguous about whether right, Ishto creates an obligation or just or, right, or, or just a permission. The the Hrama, who doesn't right, who doesn't quote the full version of the right of the rush quote in the Rama seems to clear, right to leave it entirely as a right, a right of the husband as opposed to an obligation of the husband. It doesn't mention any of the logic about right, uh, So if we want to figure out what talach is, that's always a question when you have sources for the Shulchan Aruch that create possibilities that the Shaharama maybe are coming to exclude or maybe they're just quoting. Okay. Hayudamar Yetro takes to Bata. Um right, uh, right, so right, um, right, so that he right he can't he can't do it the first time, right? Rather rather we force him the first time to do whatever whatever we want, whatever, whatever uh, up right up however it is. But, right, but, but then the Shulchan goes on and says, but the, the second time he quotes he quotes the Rambam. Uh, right? Right, so the the um, the um, so the, well, the question is, what is Ramo adding here? Saying without this, he, right, he has no obligation to redeem her the second time. So that could just mean right that he has no obligation to redeem her. The second time without divorcing her. 
um, right? Right? He has no obligation, right? So that, right? And then he's just saying the same thing, right? The Rambam says that it. The Rambam says that if he redeemed her and then she is captured again, right? And he, right, and he wants to divorce her, then he has to give her her ketubah. So the, the thing is, I thought reading the Rambam that the that the, that the um, read the Rambam. Right? The Rambam says. But he has the right to divorce her, uh, but he has no right to hold her prisoner. I don't know, I don't know why the, um, right, so the problem is if the, if the, if, if what the, um, what the Ramah is quoting is of, but imlo ratsa legarsha. Right, so one possibility is saying, right, is, is saying that he has no obligation to redeem her uh, without to redeem her without divorcing her, but he has an obligation to right, to divorce her. And the other possibility is that unless he wants to divorce her, he has no obligation to redeem her. I would much rather read it the first way, but I have to tell you that I can't right, that I, I can't prove in the Rama that it's the uh, that it's one of the first. Okay, so that brings us to the end of the um, end of the hour. So what we have is. Um, we have what seems to be a consensus outside the Adramah that we paskin like we paskin like Rosh Hashem Liel in the first in the in the question of Kedai Demea, and we paskin like Revi on the question of Yoter Miktubasa. But then it turns out that machlokas breaks down in all sorts of ways. Uh, the Beis Yosef quotes the Rambam with all the ambiguities of, of Ein Nechayvin. The Rambam, the yeah, the, the Rama quotes the Ram, quotes quotes some says something at the end that may change the meaning of the Rambam. Um, so we don't know in the end uh, whether there's an obligate, whether there's a ban on redeeming your wife, or whether there is a, right, or whether there's only a, a lack of obligation to, um, to redeem your wife, and therefore we don't know whether there's a ban on redeeming everyone else, or only it's a lack of obligation on redeeming, on redeeming, on redeeming everyone else, and um, right, and because right, and we don't know uh, since we we do paskin like the Adrama on the narrow issue of Ishto Kigufo. Um, Right, even though we don't paskin, right? Like we we reject his argument about who we paskin like, but we accept his argument about how to read, about how to read the relationship between the Mishnah and the uh, the Mishnah, the Mishnah, the Mishnah, and and, um, and the Brita, because we end up living right, that we don't uh, we don't paskin. This is true about wives, um, so we don't know in the end what the right how far we could extend the the, the permission to uh, to redeem your wife, right? To uh, to other and other figures. Okay, that's where we would pick it up next week. All right, thank you.